Hey there, I'm Matthew Foley and this is ISO Insights, where God's truth grows in the midst of current culture, renewing the mind and spirit. Well, we have Brian, Dr. Brian Cutshaw again here with a part two. We're picking up where we left off last time we had him on board here. So I believe last time, where do we leave off from in uh, your life story. You know, I'm not sure where we left off. I know we talked a lot yeah. about how I met my wife, how yeah. I got called ministry. I think it was that uh, the background where I grew up, those kinds of things. The CEO who started the church, was it? The the family whose husband he preached to the yeah. church. I, I yeah, my that. first church plant. Yeah, yeah. I talked about uh, where Faith and I, we were engaged when I started planting mm-hmm. the church. And, and so... I remember now, I don't know how many years down the line this was, because we're going to be getting in today to uh, Twin Rivers and to ISO. And uh, then from ISO, I I do want to talk to you about where you think the culture in America is. Big questions. uh, And and what you would say to a younger you uh, looking forward. But uh, what we want to talk about now, I think if I can jump into this, I don't know how far ahead from Lee this was, but I remember you talking about an encounter you had had with the uh, some Satanists, yeah. to put it bluntly. Yeah. And this was at a small church, I, I remember. Yeah. So this was in St. Louis, actually. So when I went to St. Louis, our church was running about 50 people. I think we had 52 was our average for the first month there. Mm. Our Wednesday nights were like 11, you know, less than 15. And um, Sunday nights were about the same. So it was just a very small church. And all of a sudden, I started getting these notes on the church doors, always on a Saturday night. Really? Yeah. So they started off just posting these. They were written in, in magic marker, and but they were like, um, like green magic marker or something like mm-hmm. that, I remember. But uh, they would put these notes on there to just kind of scare us, you know. Uh, cursing and things like that, that that were just scary. And then we started noticing other kinds of things uh, in addition to that. They started, you know, leaving things on my car. Um, they would do, they would spray paint things. And wow. it looked like vandalism at first. And so um, there was a policeman that attended our church and I mentioned this to him. And he, he said, well, let me have some of the guys to look into it. Well, they realized that this had been happening in five other churches and they were able to investigate it and found out that it was the church of Satan that was doing it. They were sending out members to do this. It got, it got to a point that they started leaving posters and they would always come on a Saturday night mm-hmm. and they would leave posters, uh, like big poster boards on the church doors, just, you know, foul language and mm-hmm. just judgment and like, like, your day is coming. They're just, really trying to ramp up the intimidation. Yeah, threats, just fearful threats. Well, you know, I'm, I'm 24 years old. We've got we've got two little babies. Mm. Uh, I have a a daughter at that time who is probably a year old. Another daughter who's three. And so this was terrifying. I mean, really? Faith and I never lived in I Missouri. <laughs> uh, she's from Georgia. Uh, I was from Tennessee, and we had, we just were far away, you know, 500 miles from anyone we knew. How how common was that at that time in the church? Did you have people uh, in areas like that threatening openly churches? Or? You know, I mean, this was my first encounter, so I'm not really sure. I think that because we didn't have social media, we didn't even have internet. So mm-hmm. you have to remember, the internet hadn't been invented yet. So because of that, you only heard about things on the news. 
Yeah. And you didn't have 24-hour news broadcast like we have mm-hmm. now. There was no Fox News Network 24 hours a day. You heard your news for about an hour a day uh, or morning or evening. Mm-hmm. So you only you only got about an hour of news and you read the newspaper and that was it. Where did your mind go when uh, this officer mentioned to you, this is the Church of Satan? Well, obviously, I was very fearful, and I knew they only came at night. And uh, then it started happening. Other times, they were knocking on windows. And so it got to a point that um, I felt like I needed to stay on guard. Mm -hmm. So I went on third shift. So Faith and the girls would sleep in our bed at night, and then I would walk the floors. I put a, a pistol on my um, on my side, you were armed physically and spiritually. That's Take right. Care of it, yeah. A Bible in my hand and a pistol on my side, and I mm-hmm. basically policed the the house. I didn't go outside, but I just you had know, peeked through windows, and this went on for months. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how long, but it was it was very scary. You know, my wife was afraid. Uh, we were, we were afraid for our children, mm-hmm. and then. Um, and then people started telling us we need to move. And, you know, yeah. and we were listening to them. We thought they were saying, kind of like Job's comforters, you're out of God's will. Yeah. You know, God didn't send you here for that because we hadn't been there very wow. long. And so uh, when all this started happening, I um, I just started staying up all night long, quoting scriptures and, um, you know, walking through the the house, just basically praying and reading the Bible. And I'd do this for hours, literally all night long until the sun came up. What what was the reason? I mean, why would a 50-member church be a threat to this organization? Well, we we found out later. So um, let me me progress this story kind of to my part of the end and then how we found that out. So I finally got to a place that I was just tired of it. So um, I just decided to take a spiritual stand. And so I I put my own note on the door on a Saturday night. And um, it was something simple like, I will meet you next week on the parking lot. You know, probably I was young, probably something like no cops or something like that. <laughs> showdown. You know, it, that's yeah. exactly what it was. It was a showdown. Well, they took my note. And when they took my note, I knew that they had it. And so I prepared. I fasted. Faith and I fasted. Both of us did um, the next week. Wow. I, wa- I, I walked down in the parking lot at dark, and I didn't take a gun this time. It was just me and my Bible. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to I was ready to face them off. I didn't know what God was going to do. Why, I just Why did you take your gun? I'm curious about that. Why didn't I take my gun? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I didn't. I thought that they wouldn't approach me. I think that if they saw that I was carrying a gun, plus I didn't have a permit. <laughs> okay. So, you know, if they break in the someone's building. house, yeah. you know, that's one thing. But carrying a gun openly outside. And I didn't want to shoot anybody. Yeah. I, I really wanted a spiritual showdown. So I walked, the, I walked the perimeter. I walked around the property. And it was a Saturday night. <clears throat> I did it all night long. And I never saw anyone. I mean, if they came around, they didn't, they knew I was serious. They mm-hmm. might have thought it was a trap. I didn't know what happened. But what I know is I walked like a Jericho march all night long around the property, praying, praying in the spirit, quoting scriptures. I probably looked a little crazy out there mm-hmm. because I was desperate. My wife would peek out the, our house. They had a little parsonage, which was right beside of the church. So she could peek out the window just to see if I was alive, yeah. and I'd wave at her. So wow. she didn't sleep at all that night. I bet. And it, this was a Saturday night. 
we had church the next day. I had to preach twice the next day. And so, I, you know, I, I did this all night long and then still had to go to the pulpit. Well, um, I remember it was about 5, 5.30 in the morning and the sun started coming up and I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, son, you've made it through the night. Wow. And that's all I needed. That one little phrase set me free. I never had another moment's fear about it. Mm. So when the Lord said that, I just began to rejoice, jump up and down, you know, just rejoice, might have even run. I don't know. Um, I was just so happy that I'd made it through the night. <clears throat> I realized that they didn't show up, but I did. Mm. And I also realized that Satan didn't show up, but God did. Hallelujah. And in That's that amazing. moment, I never had another moment's fear. They never put another note on my door. They mm. never came back again. That was the end of it. It was like that that showdown spiritual battle ended it. Our church began to grow. I was no longer operating in fear. I began to, you know, with courage, lay hands on people and pray for them, which I was so intimidated for those months. I wasn't doing any of that. I wasn't really ministering. I was surviving. And um, <clears throat> so after that, things really began to take off. So it was probably two years later, there was a young lady came into our church and after the service, you know, she sat through the service and after the service, she said to me, um, you, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are. And I thought that was kind of odd. And I said, well, how do you know me? And she said, I was a part of the church of Satan when we were assigned against you. I was a part of the team assigned against you. Whoa. And she said, remember all those notes? And of course I remembered it all. She said, I was one of those people doing that. And I said, well, why are you telling me this now? That's two years ago. And why did you guys stop? She said, well, the reason I'm telling you now is because I'm now a born again Christian. <clears throat> and I felt like it was my duty to come and tell you this. And I said, well, what was going on? Why were you guys targeting us? This small little mm -hmm. church, no threat to the community. And this is what she said. I'll never forget it. She said, it was for one reason only. Mm -hmm. You pray in tongues. Oh, I my said, goodness. I said, what? She said, yes. She said, you pray in tongues and the people of this church pray in tongues and the church of Satan, this was her words, not mine, cannot operate within five miles of any congregation that prays in tongues. <laughs> and she said, so we had, she said, the church of Satan was wanting to move its headquarters from, from um, San Francisco, California to St. Louis, Missouri to be in the middle of the country. But the, the piece of property they wanted um, was within five miles of your church and other churches. And we only targeted the five churches in this area that spoke in tongues. That was it. That's incredible. Like 50, yeah. 50 people congregation, <clears throat> five miles. It's like uh, that was a spiritual battle over St. Louis. I know. It, it definitely was. At ISO, we always strive to provide discounts and incentives for our students. Now, we're thrilled to announce our best value ever, the ISO All Access Pass. For just $99 per month, any student can access our entire learning platform. An ever-expanding library of fascinating, groundbreaking teaching at your fingertips for the average price of just one ISO course. There has never been such a prime opportunity to pursue your biblical education. Students in many traditional schools pay $100 to learn every day for every single course. With the All Access Pass, that amount gives you access to our entire course catalog. 
At ISO, you can learn from world-class teachers on a wide variety of subjects, all at your own pace. With the subscription-based model of the All Access Pass, there are no obligations to put yourself in debt for decades. If you're hungry to learn about the Word, there's never been a better value. That's countless hours of teaching and materials with no limit on how much you can learn. Now, more than ever, ISO is excited to connect the Word with the world. Go to isow.org to get started with the All Access Pass today. The, the amazing thing about that story is that, you know, um, after she told me that, she never came back anymore, so I don't even know her name. Um, she just showed up that one time to let me know. But I, I was able to get in contact with the other spirit-filled pastors in the area and tell them the story because none of them knew what happened. One of them did leave out of mm -hmm. the five. One of them left, and the church collapsed. So they, they successfully eliminated one of the spirit-filled churches in our area. It was, a, it was a great church, an assembly of God, and it just kind of fell apart. Oh, and, um, yeah, so it was no longer in existence. Mm -hmm. But that really taught me a lesson about praying in the Spirit. It really taught me a lesson about spiritual warfare. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. much better story to tell than it was to live. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, but that was... Uh, a weapon of intimidation. I know yep. that Paul, when he says uh, to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. That's right. He's basically talking about the intimidation that the devil tries to bring. And That's right. it's interesting that these people obviously were threatening. I think that they're there's a chance that with that group of people, they probably do make good on some physical threats yeah. uh, that they make. But in this case... It's amazing that they didn't have the authority to do that to you. All yeah. they had were threats. And I think that if I had not have responded, well, the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. in me responded the way I did, instead of, you know, cowering down, I stood up. Um, I was packing, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I stood up and fought. Yeah. And I, th I think that's how you beat intimidation. That's how... David defeated Goliath. He showed up at the battlefield, and I think that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't have enough experience to even understand, I was feeling my way through it, and I was terrified the whole time, mm -hmm. but I did it. You know, I think that's something that a lot of people need to know is that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is showing up in the presence of fear. Mm. And I think that's what some people don't understand about courage. It doesn't mean you're not afraid. It means you're afraid, but you're going anyway. Wow. So the chances are David steps up to the, the lion, and he steps up to whatever comes against him. He steps up to Goliath, and he, he's probably not completely it, lacking the emotion. In no, the his knees are knocking. Yeah. But he knows God, <laughs> and he's trusting the Lord. And that was where I was at. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just wanted to, to protect my family. I wanted to stay in the ministry because I had a prophecy mm -hmm. you know, that was given to me to go there, and I knew it hadn't been fulfilled. Wow. And if I hadn't have had that prophecy, we might have left, but that prophecy mm -hmm. kept me there. Now, well, let's talk about that because I wanted to ask, actually, what drew you and Faith to St. Louis to minister there? It, we were called there. Yeah, nothing drew us there. We'd never been there mm -hmm. before. And um, so I was, you know, I have been an intercessor for my whole adult life, even as a child, I was an intercessor. We didn't call it that back then, you know. We called it prayer warriors. Yeah. But, 
So I was, one of my practices was on Monday when I was pastor in a small church. Um, so I was a youth pastor and a minister of music for three years. I, well, my whole ministry career is this. I planted that church in Knoxville, Tennessee that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Then I went out and pastored this small old country church that um, it was just an open door. I was ready to pastor. I'd been a youth pastor and a minister of music while I finished my college. And then um, I, I um, wanted to pastor, and that's the only thing that was open. So we took this little church running 18 people out mm -hmm. in West Tennessee, and we were there only uh, less than, a little less than two years. But the church grew from 18 to over 200 people. Wow. Yeah, and we didn't even know why. If I had to guess why, um, Faith and I were both singers and musicians, They'd never had anything like that before. Yeah. And I think that that culture loved good music. Now, weren't you busing in people from Lee, too? Well, that so was, was that the was church the, plant. Oh, okay. So yeah, that was the, the one plant. in Knoxville. So, no, this one was this one was out in West Tennessee. So you were standing on your own two feet as musicians playing in that church. Me and Faith, we found a, a guy who was a country music singer that got saved. Oh, really? And we brought him in as a trio, <laughs> and we sang the daylights, Woo! man, out of that. I mean, out of those songs, and the people loved it, man. They they loved it. I was just, you know, I'd been an evangelist for a while, but I was a deep preacher. But I was a mm. passionate preacher even then. I mean, I had, I I would break a sweat even if I didn't have much to say. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had it. I had a, a bachelor's degree, so it wasn't yeah. that I didn't have anything to say. But um, I don't know. We took that little church because it was an open door. But then when we saw what God did and how, mm -hmm. how fast it grew, we had, we had our second child while we were there, our daughter, Lindsay. And that's when I decided I wanted more for my kids. I didn't want them raised in this tiny little town mm. out in the country. I, I don't know, it reminded me in many ways of how I was raised, and I yeah. just wanted them to have a better opportunity. So I wanted to go to a larger city, but I didn't know mm -hmm. where. So I was out riding a horse on a Monday. I did that on Mondays when I could. And I would go up, I would ride to the top of this mountain and pray. So I'd ridden the horse up there. I'd tied him up. And I just, I remember laying back on this moss at the top of this mound. I just laid back on it and kind of put my hands behind my head. And when I did, I had a vision and I'd never had one before. It was the first time I had a vision. And the only vision that I, what I saw in the vision was me with a horn of oil, like a bull's horn. Wow. And, and it was filled with oil. And I was pouring it in these sheep that looked bloody. They looked like they were old and had just been, you know, tattered by wolves or something. Mm -hmm. And in this vision, I'm just pouring this oil on them and kind of massaging it into their wool. And there's only a few of them, maybe, you know, I don't know, I'd say eight, maybe six or eight, not very big flock at all. And then all of a sudden, this, this little flock just began to multiply into thousands and thousands and thousands. And they literally filled up a whole valley as far as I could see. I was like, I was on a mountaintop when this happened and, and it filled up a whole valley. And I heard a voice say, you will not be able to number them. Oh my. That's all he said. You will not be able to number them. There'll be so many. And I ha had no idea what it meant. I came home and I told my wife and because I'd never had a vision before. And, you know, that wasn't really something that we were accustomed to. Mm -hmm. 
uh, she kind of, yeah, well, that's good. Very nice, you know, kind yeah. of patted me on the back. <laughs> and well, I'm glad God spoke to you. We didn't take it that serious. I mean, I did because I knew it was very real. But And when you say vision, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about mental images that are very strong and pressing. You mean it was like you a, saw it? It was like a mini movie. Wow. Yeah, it was like I was watching a film, and but I was in it. And my I, it was... The best I could describe it is like a daydream. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a night dream is very vivid, full of colors. And that's, an, that's some people call those night visions, uh, but a night dream. But this was just like that, but I was awake. Mm. But I closed my eyes just like this, and then it happened. It was just like, yeah. it, if I had have known better, I would have thought that I instantly fell asleep and had a dream. It was that real, and it was that vivid. So... Um, you know, we kept pastoring that little country church, and I brought in an evangelist for revival, and he was up preaching, and in the middle of his sermon, he turns around and looks at me, and it had that big bug-eyed look, you know, that yeah. sometimes they get, and it's like, <laughs> no, not me. And um, so he turned around, and he said, I don't know what this means, Brian, but this is what I see. I see a horn of oil in your hand. You're pouring it on these battered sheep. You're kidding. And he said, and then they begin to multiply in a <laughs> valley so large. I'd never told anyone this but faith. He described my vision to a T. Then I get a call from um, the, the Church of God bishop in Missouri. He was looking for young people to come and work in the West. Mm -hmm. He had this old church, and this is what he said to me. His name was Wendell Smith. He called me up and he said, Brian, I know that you've had some successful growth, growth there in West Tennessee. I'm looking for a, a sharp young couple like you guys that can do music. I got a little church here. And he said, to be honest with you, it's not much. It is a flock of old, tattered, wounded sheep. But I believe if the Lord would send the right man to pour oil <laughs> over them, that they could multiply. Look at God. That's amazing. <laughs> when he said that, I knew I was going. And I got off the phone jaw dropped and faith said what's wrong i said i think we're moving to missouri and she said why in the world would we do that we've never even been to missouri and i told her the story she said well at least we need to go take a look at the church mm -hmm. and so it was like i, I knew we were going to go but you know we had to make sure and so um this none of this was coincidental it was so divine for me yeah. so um we we were planning on going up there one day, and the night before, I had a dream that I was just walking through this church, and I didn't, I didn't really think it was a spiritual dream at the time. But we're driving up there from West Tennessee. It's about a five-hour drive, and we're driving up there that day, and mm -hmm. I told Faith about the dream. I said, I had the strangest dream last night, and I described this church I was walking through. But when we pulled up to that little church called the Webster Grove Church of God, it was the church of my dream. And so before we went in, I took the risk of sounding ignorant. I just, I just asked the bishop, I said, you know, before we go in, can I ask you a question? Is the carpet red in this church? He said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. Well, that could have been anybody's guess. Every church had 30% chance. Exactly, or probably 90, <laughs> oh, you know, my. in those days. And I said, "Are there is there wood paneling on the walls?" Well, yeah. And I said, "Like a brown wood paneling on all the walls? No, no drywall." Yeah. I said, "Do you walk down a long hallway and then at the end you come into the back of the sanctuary and there's some stained glass windows?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Okay, this is weird." 
is the back of the stage built with like square framing and paneling? And are there two PV speakers, PV <laughs> now of all the brands, are there two PV speakers hanging on the wall? And he looked at me so strange. He said, yeah, why? Have you been here before? Yeah. I said, I think so. Last night <laughs> in my dream. And I told him the dream. And we went inside and, you know, he he took our name before the congregation. They accepted us. So that's how we ended up there. But it was so it was a divine appointment. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I'll tell you the honest truth is when you talk about this, I think about um, so many young people worried about doing the will of God in their lives. Now, I this is, you know, at the ripe age right now, about 24. This is what I've arrived to. This is great wisdom. If you just uh, obey what God says in his word and you serve him with everything you have and lay your life down, then you're eligible for him to speak to you clearly and not miss it. Yeah. But right. if you start disregarding the basic things, that's where you start getting into trouble. But here you have an example where God could not have made it more clear. More clear. And every major move of my life's been like that. I have never, you know, I've never made a major move or decision without a clear-cut path from the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that he told me everything that was going to happen. And every time it doesn't turn out the way I think it's going mm. to. But it always turns out the way he knows it's going to. And but he's moved me, even the, how he got me to ISO. A, you know, every every major move in my life has been like that. So if, you know, if I could tell young people seeking um, to to find their way in ministry, in in ministry, maybe in life and everything, is don't do anything without seeking the Lord and waiting on an answer. Don't do it impulsively, and don't just use logic and. Don't talk to unspiritual mm. people and get your wisdom from them. Don't don't just go to a businessman because he's built a successful business and think that's going to work for you. But find spiritual people who hear from God and you know seek the Lord and let Him reveal it to you, and He will. Wow. I'm living proof of that. 